Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. John. God bless your heart. Thank you so much for the very warm welcome. Thank you, everyone, as well. Can we speak to the Holy Spirit? Can we raise uh, a sacrifice of praise all right, from our hearts and just thank him for his gracefulness uh, and his graciousness and his benevolence and his, and his beauty and, and, the, and the amazing things that he has done for us and in us and through us. And can we just thank him for how our day has been so far? Let's thank him for how the year has been so far. Let's thank him. You know, I had the opportunity of recounting the faithfulness of God to us as a tribe, as a tribe to, you know, a, a brother this evening. And it was such a joy to just share with him all the things God has done for us this year alone. I mean, it's just incredible. We came into this year one way, expecting one thing. And then here we are, middle of the year. God has given us something remarkably that exceeds all our expectations combined. And God has been so faithful. And that's just what God has done physically. There's so many things he's done eternally that we couldn't possibly thank him enough for. Can we can you just thank him and acknowledge his benevolence in your life? Um, it's okay to type in the chat room one thing you're grateful for this season, one thing you're grateful for. You know, it's tough to zoom in on the things to be grateful for in such a situation where everyone is groaning, everyone seems to be irritable, you know, annoyed. It's angry, gnashing their teeth, talking about how the government has failed or whatever it is, the FX, you know, exchange rate is on the increase, inflation is on an all-time high. Uh, we're hearing record inflation rates here and there. And this is not an attempt to, you know, to benchmark a news channel or, or deliver another set of eight o'clock news. No. But to just let you know that it's this moment that is the best time to give thanks. It's the best time to give thanks. It's actually even the best time to give unto the Lord. It's the best time to just act opposite of what the environment is suggesting. Almost like how the Lord told Isaac to sow in the land, especially at the point when people were leaving the land for farming. You know, and it's, it's, it's incredible how the supernatural works that way. When everyone is saying there's a casting down, that's when there's an opportunity for those who will look up, all right, to say that there is a lifting up for them, all right? So please, because the earth is moving under your feet and you're being cast down, um, where are you going to look, really? Where are you going to look? Everyone is going to look down because that's where the, the bad thing is happening. That's where the calamity is happening. So you're going to look down because that's where... The, the ground is removing right underneath your feet. But the Bible is saying that when others are cast down because the earth is removing right underneath them, it says you shall say there is a lifting up. The reason why you shall say there is a lifting up is because there is a God who is asking for your hand to lift you up. So your disposition is actually the difference maker in that situation. It's not because God chose you to lift you up. It's because you chose to look up and allow him lift you up. Several other people could have also been lifted up, but because they did not look up, their disposition was so negative. They kept looking down and looking down and looking down, and God's hand was right there waiting to lift them up, but they couldn't see it. And so God couldn't help them. And so when others are being cast down, he says, you shall say there is a lifting. Before you can say there is a lifting, you must have lifted up your face. You must have lifted up your eyes to see the salvation of the Lord. 
And that's the beautiful thing about this kind of season. It's a good season to give. It's a good season to sow seeds. It's a good season to give thanks, to sacrifice our praise unto him. I hope we're, we're putting out some, some good things right there that we are grateful for in this season. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise because the economy of heaven is stronger than the economy of Nigeria. We give you praise because you are faithful. We give you praise because you are good. We give you praise because you are ever true. You are ever true. Faithful is your name. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. Accept our thanksgiving tonight in the name of Jesus. As we get into your word tonight, we ask that everyone is blessed, edified, strengthened, and encouraged through the teaching of your word and the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for answer prayers. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen and amen and amen. More glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. The title of my teaching tonight um, is God's 10-point love agenda. God's 10-point love agenda. All right. I hope you can still hear me very clearly. Um, if at any point in time you can't hear me, please do well to put it in the chat room so that I can get that feedback. All right. Thank you. God's 10-point love agenda. Today we'll be talking a lot about God's love. And I trust that he will establish some very powerful, irrevocable truths to you about his love. He will reveal those things to you about his love. These are things that perhaps you already perhaps know, you've heard it before, but it will come to you in a new light tonight. And that's my prayer for you and every single person who will listen to this teaching, whether right now or by extension or right after this service. Uh, and I pray that, you know, that word will come alive in our spirit. We will never, ever overemphasize God's love. It, it cannot be overemphasized. It can't. It can't be overemphasized. It's such a powerful thing. And it runs through the entire thread of scripture. It's such a powerful thing. So the first thing I'd like to just emphasize here and talk about here is this. That, you see, one of the things that is difficult, right, to find in mortal men is the ability to do whatever they want to do and the love to use it only for good. Have you noticed that it's very difficult to find people who are absolutely powerful and they're absolutely gracious and loving? It's very difficult because that capacity is not found in men. All right. Even with the little bit of power that some men have, because no man has absolute power. All right, but even with the little power that some men have, like a political office, we see what they do with that little power. We see what they do with that kind of privilege and position. All right, they maim, they take advantage, they scam, they embezzle, they, they, they just weaponize the authority that they have only to their own advantage and to the disadvantage of everybody that calls them leaders. All right, and that's the sad reality of, you know, humanity, a falling world where you cannot both be powerful and loving at the same time. So for mortal men, right, um, the qualities of absolute power and absolute love are mutually exclusive. And you see, the only person that can be God, right, has to have both of those capacities inherent in him. All right, and that's one of the things that actually makes God God. In fact, because of this tendency, people blame God for some things. You know, we've been talking a lot about priesthood in church and all that, and how that, you know, the strength of our kingship is sustained by the strength of our priesthood, and how that if you fall before God in priesthood, you will rise before men in kingship, and how that God wants your kingship to be powered 
by priesthood. And if we teach these things, because that's what the truth of God's word suggests, don't you think that God will be even a better, you know, adherent to his own principles? You see, the reason why I'm saying that is because um, God is all powerful, but he has chosen to submit that power to his love. All right, God is all powerful, but he has chosen to submit that power to his love. And because of this, that is why people can actually even insult God and still be standing on their two feet. You see, because God is not, is not, is not irritable. God is not reactionary. All right, God is not a Nebuchadnezzar that will be upset when you don't bow to his graven image and tell his soldiers and risk killing his own soldiers just to retribute and just to get at you for insulting him. Do you understand? God is not like that. God has all his power properly you know, controlled. It's so beautiful. You know, that someone who is that powerful will be that controlled. It's such a glorious sight. I mean, we find people who, are, who just have a little bit of power and they can't even help themselves. They have to show that they, they can do something. I mean, have you ever, well, hopefully you've not, <laughs> but at least you must have observed maybe two people who collide or who hit themselves or brush themselves on the road and then they step out of the car and the first thing you begin to hear is, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And you know, it's always a very funny scenario when people do that because the first thing they want to do is to demonstrate their power, is to demonstrate their capacity to do especially with respect to how much they can punish, how much they can make you pay, how much they can make you regret. So power often is feared to the extent that it can damage. Do you see? Because when man is flexing power, it's often in the negative. So when you see someone with so much power, you reveal them, not because they have so much power to bless, but because they have so much power to maim, to destroy, to damage. And so when they say things like, do you know who I am? They are telling you that they have the capacity to send you to jail. They have the capacity to make you sleep in a cell. They have the capacity to ruin your day, ruin your week, and just make you pay and regret for whatever actions you've taken. And it's always as though power for man is demonstrated always to the negative. And that just tells you how impossible it is for man to handle power without the love of God, without the grace of God, without the spirit of God controlling that man. So absolute power and absolute love are two mutually exclusive qualities in mortal men. It is only possible in deity. All right, without absolute power, men already are corrupt. Talk more of when they have absolute power, just like I already explained. And that's what makes the matchlessness of God's beauty even more impressive, if you, if you think about it. He has all the power in the world, yet he executes it only in the direction of love. The most limiting characteristic of any all-powerful being should be love, actually. Because if you are really all-powerful, we can hardly see all the power you have if you are still the same person that is love. Because how do you demonstrate how damaging your power can be if you are still the same person that is all-loving? You know, if you if you say you are really powerful, well, we're not likely going to see how much of power you have if you still are the same person that is all loving. We're likely going to take you for granted because you are so meek, you are so humble, you are so lowly. We would hardly even see you demonstrate how powerful you are. <laughs> but that's the kind of God we serve. You know, so powerful yet so loving. The most limiting quality of the most powerful person is what he chooses to be his definition. God is not power. God is all right and so you can say his love is his priesthood and his power is his kingship and that is what governs his adjudication and expression and manifestation and administration of his power it is his love it is his love that helps him know exactly how to direct 
the the flows and the frequencies of his power all right isn't it even funny that people blame the all-powerful god exactly because of his love all right so he gave man free will in fact they even they will say that the reason why there's so much mess in this world is because you can't say god is love you know it's funny they say that how can you say god is love when there's so much evil in this world when good people are dying you know when so much is happening and god is doing nothing about it the reason why he's love is exactly that if people can just think and think well they'll realize that the only reason why there's so much evil in this world is because god is love if there were no evil in this world god couldn't be love all right we'd all, all be you know guinea pigs in his grand you know experiment or in his grand laboratory do you understand because he would have perfected our actions and perfected our motives and behavioral patterns and just doctored everything and there will be absolutely no evil in this world but in such a world exactly would there be also no possibility for love because one of the very first establishments of love is free will if you cannot be if you cannot freely give your love you cannot inherently say that you are in a love relationship if you cannot choose to give your love to someone and you you are with that person and you couldn't say no to that person that means you couldn't say you were in love with that person actually what makes your yes meaningful is because your no is possible do you understand what makes your yes meaningful is because your no is possible in a world where there is no possibility for no then there is no meaning to yes if my wife said yes to me because i was the only man in the world or she said yes to me because i was all powerful and if she didn't say yes i was going to maim her i was going to you know kill the boyfriend she would have said yes to i was just going to make her life miserable that is really not a yes that is compliance that is well <laughs> i need to stay alive so let me just hang around with you Hopefully to some guy in you know shining armor and a white horse comes to save me from you. Do you see? And so um, in a world where a no is not possible, then a yes is not meaningful. Do you see? And that's why God is love. And so because God has given free will to man, which is to establish the fact that he is love, the same context that gives man the possibility to love God is what makes it possible as well for man to do everything diametrically opposed to the will of that same god so a person can take his gun and go to a classroom toddlers and kill all of them you know they can burn churches in pakistan they can do crazy things all around the world and we are using the very emblem of his love as the very sign that god must not be loved you know it's the warped sense and warped nature of sometimes our ideology that gives us these kinds of conclusions every now and then so we use the realities in the world the external factors that are perhaps outside of our control and so we think that if we're god you see that this will not be happening i will not let a child be, be dead like that and, and that's fine huh? god's heart bleeds just as much as yours perhaps even worse because they didn't kill the image of you they killed his own image so he feels more personally touched by anything that we as humanity goes through he feels very personally touched he's not a high priest that cannot be touched he's touched in every single point so we cannot fault him for the realities of this world the reason why we can even say we can fault him is because we can choose to fault him which is a function of the establishment of his law which is the fact that he has given you a free will sufficient to nail him to that metaphorical cross and say he is to blame for everything that is wrong in this world do you see god is remarkably loved the only reason why we can choose to love him is because we could have said no to him as well and so because of the potential of our love relationship with him 
he chooses to also embrace the possibility of the madness that will ensue without everyone agreeing to be in that love relationship with him. I have to tell you the cost of the love relationship you have with Jesus. The cost of the love relationship you have with Jesus is all the mess and the evil in the world. That is what God has to endure so that you can have a chance to say yes to him. You know, these thoughts just really blow my mind whenever I think about them. It's so beautiful to think about that. When I see a fallen world, as much as that breaks my heart, it's the exact reason why I can say, God, I love you. It's the exact reason why I can say, because if I couldn't see a fallen world and my heart breaks because of the realities of the choices that men, you know, voluntarily have chosen to, to, to make the world into, in the same vein, I couldn't possibly see the wrong in God because we all would have been doctored to see things exactly the same way. We would not be human beings with free wills anymore. We'll be robots with, you know, animated and automated systems of cooperations and compliance. And a no will be a dysfunction in our machine. Saying no is not a dysfunction for a human being. He has a very single right to say no. He has every single right to say no. And I, and I hope that just blesses your heart as we go into the teaching tonight. All right. If God expects his authoritative kings to demonstrate the submission of priests, wouldn't it also be expected that the most authoritative king of all time and dispensations will himself submit to the limitation of his love for humanity? All right. And that's the beauty of this tapestry that we are trying to weave tonight. So when we come to fall in love with this God, no longer would we fear, would the fear, and that, that's what I want to establish by beginning to get into Romans chapter 8. No longer will the fear of punishment be our incentive to live a holy life. It's not the fear of punishment that makes me want to live a holy life every day. It's not the fear of punishment that makes me not want to lie, not want to cheat on my wife, not want to, you know, misrepresent any information. It's not because of the fear of punishment. Now, that can be an incentive for others that don't love God, but they love themselves enough to not want to suffer punishment, so they will say yes to a God who preserves their soul. And God can make do with a secondary reason like that. But the primary reason why he would want you to be with him is not because he wants you to be so afraid of punishment you run into heaven. No, that should not be the incentive. All right? He wants you to love him enough to want to live a holy life. All right? Remember, we, we emphasized this in the last teaching that, you know, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that's a good time to also to say that again in chat room. God has chosen me before the foundation of the world to be holy and to be without blame before him in love. God chose Daniel Gonsunde right before the foundation of the world to be holy, to be without blame, to stay before him and only in the context of his love. And what that tells us is that he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love because the only context in which God knows us is in the context of his love. That means God does not know you except in the context of his love for you. He does not know you in any other context. You know, the way you know some other people that you don't have a business with, they're just quote-unquote online users of your product. You don't love them in that real sense. Do you understand? Because you don't know them. So there are other kinds of relationships you can have with people without necessarily having a love relationship with them. God is saying that he cannot, he doesn't know you except he's in love with you. <laughs> That's just incredible. So the only context that God knows you is in the context of his love. Now, look at that. The only context as well that he has chosen to be known is in the context of your love for him. That's beautiful. That's really amazing. The only context that God has chosen for himself to be known by you is in the context of your love 
for him. The only context he has chosen to be through to know him. And so that's really beautiful to think about. Love is the only context where God knows us. And love is the only context where we also can know the Lord. I hope we are learning already. Oh, this has blessed my heart so much. Just thinking about these things. So, 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 so beautiful. Romans chapter 8 from verse from verse 31. I'll ask for a few minutes extra again today. Uh, the Lord help me. Romans chapter 8 from verse 31. Um, we, we left off at Romans 8.30. That was all we could, we could, we could touch on last week. Um, and we called that the value chain of God's glory. Uh, I couldn't title it at the time, but I shared the title with the media team. Um, so we'll start on a long streak of universes, verse 31 to verse 39. And we'll wrap it up in verse 39 tonight by the grace of God. Right. And then by next week we'll have a you know some sort of recap and catch up and summary of what I've learned so far. This is the very half way through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. The Bible here says. Now, everything about Romans 8 from verse 31 to 39 is about God's love, every single verse. And that's where I got the, you know, God's 10-point uh, love agenda topic from. Because every single verse speaks directly about God's love. And it shows you the mention of God's love. That's so beautiful. That if you can just meditate on these things, your heart will grow in his love and in your love for him as well. It's so, 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 so amazing. The first thing we see here, what does the Bible say? It says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That is beautiful. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, you and I know that there are things that have been against you before. Maybe a timeline, maybe a deadline, maybe some panelist on an interview panel, maybe some, you know, football team that was against your football team. There are several things that have been against you in life. All right, but the Bible says that relative to God, they don't even exist. It's a question of who can be, like who are they, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? And the thoughts to, to learn here is this. The things that are against you may be more in number, but they are less in power than the one that is for you. And that's something that is you know, jottable. It's a quotable quote. All right. You can write that down in the chat room just to serve as a reminder for you. All right. The things that are against you may be more in number, but they are less in power than the one that is for you. All right. Now, another another quotable quote from that verse is this. You may be able to count your problems, but you cannot measure God's power to solve them. Hallelujah. God. You may be able to count your problems, but you could never measure God's power to solve them. So in the same vein, the things that are against you may be more in number, but they are less in power than the one that is for you. All right, so rest in that assurance. That does not matter all the metrics that are stacked against you. You know, you're living in Nigeria, that's some factor. And that factor comes with perhaps a lot of sub-factors that are already stacked against you. You know, a lot of people perhaps blame themselves for, you know, being sent to Nigeria or, to, or sent to Nigerian parents or sent to Nigerian parents who refused to leave Nigeria. 
you know, I think Pastor Maureen always makes this joke, you know, humorously, how that, you know, um, her parents had all her siblings, her being the last born, had all her siblings outside the country, and then they chose to have her in Nigeria and did not travel again. And she was always questioning them, like, how? Like, why is it on my head you chose to come and be loving Nigeria? You understand? And so I, I'm sure perhaps some of us have the exact same context where we, we, we count all the problems that are stacked against us and we can't seem to find a way. But Bible here is saying that, you know, who can be against you if God be for you? How many can be against you that will be formidable enough, that will give them enough lever to say they can actually defeat you if God alone is for you? And so the challenge is that you're thinking a lot in numbers. You're not thinking a lot in volume, in capacity, in quality. You're thinking only in numbers. It doesn't matter whether there are hundred ants coming against me. My one foot is enough because the sheer power of my person is far more than, doesn't matter the number of the ants that are coming against me. And so stop thinking in numbers and start thinking in value, start thinking in quality, start thinking in volume, start thinking in capacity. Again, the things that are against you may be more in number or they are less in power relative to the one that is for you. You may be able to count your blessings but you can never measure God's power to solve your problems. I hope that encouraged your heart. Verse 32, the Bible says that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What can we learn from that? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God gave all he had when he gave Jesus Christ to you. God gave all he had. All right, God give all you have. God cannot improve on his benevolence towards you. That's so powerful. God cannot improve on his benevolence towards you. God will not be more deserving of thanksgiving tomorrow when he gives you a car than he does today when you have nothing to give to him. All right, when you have nothing, quote unquote, to thank him for that is tangible, do you see? And so we need to understand and live in this revelation. That he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That is, God cannot improve on his benevolence towards you. God cannot improve on the gift he has given you already. You know, I've given this illustration before, and I think it's also very apt to repeat that kind of illustration in this context. Imagine I give you a very massive, you know, air, airline, airplane. Say, just imagine I'm Kenneth Copeland for a moment, who has given perhaps about 27 airlines in his ministry perhaps it's more than 27 by now that's just incredible you know and i give you an airline furnished everything is sorted like everything you ever need is in there and then you take it from me of course you're excited then you step into the airline you're about to go for your you know trip somewhere in zanzibar or something vacation and then um you come out angrily and then you're asking me I'm disappointed in you. And just you're just angry. You're just saying you're disappointed in me. Like how, how could I ever do this to you? Like what what in the world was I thinking? Why would I give you an airline without putting toothbrush inside? What what do you want to what, what do I want you to use to brush your teeth? Like what in the world? How how insolent? What kind of insult is this? <laughs> That's exactly how a lot of people behave towards God. You know, God has given us His only begotten Son. He himself that is he became flesh and then he died like it's just too incredible to think about sometimes it fries our brain capacities it's too much how can god become man then die then be raised again 
just so that I could get the chance to say yes to him. Now, after giving us his only begotten son, and then I'm saved, I'm, I'm, I have received his love, then one day, I say God doesn't love me. And the reason why God doesn't love me is because my football team lost the Champions League. Or something even, you know, maybe not as ridiculous as that. Maybe something like, I filled an exam, I had an extra year, or um, a girl that I really loved jilted me, or something. Uh, or, or something, you know, it, it looks important to you, but relative to what Jesus is to God and how he gave him up for you, nothing in this world should ever be a justifiable reason to come and challenge the love of God for you ever again. Whatever happens in your life, to God be the glory. And if God has given his only begotten son for you, he has given you everything in him. He has given you everything in him. God cannot improve on his benevolence towards you. You will start finding everything else when you begin to give thanks for what he has already given you in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right there in the chat room, can you begin to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of you. <laughs> I'm grateful for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. However you want to say it, thank you, Father, for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. You just write it in your own words and tell God how grateful you are for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. He that spared not his own son. It's almost as though God has God is broke without Jesus Christ. Do you understand? God has nothing else to give you. If you came to God and you were asking him for something and it's not already in Christ, God does not already, he doesn't have it to give. He, he cannot give you what is not already residing in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine? He has given you everything you could possibly muster. He has nothing else to offer outside of Jesus Christ. Remember we said that as well last week. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. If I have given you myself, how exactly do you want me to improve on that gift? I've given you everything that I represent. What else do you want from me? God has given you Jesus Christ, and there's nothing more he could possibly give you. Now, if you're not finding some things, perhaps you're not looking in Christ. If you're not finding some things and you're asking from God, and you, you are not finding it, perhaps you have not found Christ. Perhaps you have not found a principle in Christ. Perhaps you have not found a love relationship with Christ. Perhaps you have not found a place in Christ. Perhaps you have not found something in Christ that will sort those things. And that's why the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Another illustration that comes in very handy with respect to that is the fridge and the refrigerator. The refrigerator and, um, you know, um, extension example. How that you go to, you know, um, you know, a, a store to buy a refrigerator and they are, for some amazing reason, they're doing some sales and discount stuff. And so if you buy a refrigerator, they are going to give you, you know, an extension. They will give you an extension, not because you came to buy the extension, not because you want an extension, not because you are looking for an extension. You came for the refrigerator. But if you buy the refrigerator, you will get an extension because that's the season they are in at that store. Now, when you buy the refrigerator, all right, uh, you have gotten what you want. Even if you came at another season when a uh, an extension is not attached to the refrigerator. That means if you leave that space with your fridge, without the refrigerator, you will not feel robbed. You will not feel like something is missing. Because you went, you bought the refrigerator and you have everything you are looking for in that refrigerator. That is exactly the same thing. If you find the kingdom and you find God, nothing should feel missing, even if there's no addition. You see, the thing that we pursue are supposed to be the extensions. How foolish would it be for you to go 
looking to buy all right an extension because they don't add fridge to extensions it is extension boxes they add to fridges do you understand so you don't go and buy a refrigerator or go and buy extension and then get a fridge for free no the valuable thing is the fridge is the refrigerator the extension is the add-on just to say you know thank you for coming to this particular store today or you know we like you and we're in that season we're so happy we give you an extension we have now made the extension the reason why we are going to the store we don't have the money for the refrigerator <laughs> but we are saying if you don't give me this extension i will not buy your refrigerator we will refrigerator is not that it doesn't work that way you get the refrigerator then the extension is given and if they never gave you the extension guess what you leave happy what did you go to buy you got you went to buy the refrigerator and you got your refrigerator in one piece when you find the kingdom you must feel the same satisfaction as though you found everything you are looking for because that is the satisfaction. Every other thing that comes with it should not improve your satisfaction because what you are looking for is the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Every other thing, extension boxes, screwdriver, cellotape <laughs> will be added. All right. They come with the package. That is not the value I went for. I went for the refrigerator. I, I carried, I sold all I had. I went to buy the refrigerator. But because I bought a refrigerator, all the things attached to the refrigerator will come with me. I can't buy those other things and expect the refrigerator to come. No. You don't find the kingdom through looking for wealth. You don't find the kingdom through looking for a, a wife, through looking for every other thing that should be added. That's why you find the kingdom. Those things are too weak in terms of their value chain to drag along the, the value of the kingdom. It is the kingdom that is so powerful that it drags them along. So you don't find those things and think you will have the kingdom alongside. And that's why Bible would, you know, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us, who gives unto all men things richly, all right, so that they will not become high minded and then start trusting in uncertain riches. Riches are uncertain. It doesn't matter how powerful they are, it doesn't matter how you know how powerful they make you feel, it doesn't matter how capable they make you feel. The Bible says they are uncertain. The Bible says we should trust in the living God, it gives unto all men richly all things to enjoy. And so he is the real deal. He's the big deal. He's the real deal. He's the one we should go for. Every other thing is attached to him. So the Bible says he has sent you his love letter in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift. You will start finding everything else when you begin to give thanks for the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ. God cannot improve on his benevolence towards you. That really blesses my heart. That means God will not deserve more of my Thanksgiving tomorrow when I have a billion dollars in my account than he does deserve today when I don't have a billion dollars in my account. In case you're thinking I do. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Praise God. I don't have a billion dollars in my account today. I just might have a billion dollars in my account tomorrow. But God will not be more deserving of Thanksgiving tomorrow when I have a billion dollars. And in fact, if I have a billion dollars tomorrow, it's because it was already in Christ today. And I already have the consummation of all things. I have the first fruit of all things today. And his thanksgiving should never be shortchanged and reduced and discounted and diluted and dismissed simply because of one thing in our lives that may not be working right now. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. This blesses my heart so much. So that's the second point of his love. So love the Lord because he already has demonstrated 
his benevolence towards you. And that's why it's a very faulty strategy for commitment. When we say things like, when God does this for me, I will love him in a certain way. I will do something for him. It's a very faulty strategy for commitment because um, there is no end to it. You have established your relationship with God on a transactional basis. The only reason why you should love God back is because he, he loved you. And the only basis for that love, the, the proof of that love is that he gave his only begotten son. That's all. And if that doesn't suffice for you, you will become a transactional Christian. You will say, God, if you don't give me this, I will not do this. I will not serve you. I will not come early to church. I will not start coming to church. I will not pray. I will not study if, you know, I'm still without a babe by this time next year. You know, you don't do things like that with God. All right? You don't do things like that with God. So you must believe that he has given you everything in Christ. You love him just as much as you would ever love him if all the blessings of this world were given to you and placed right in your laps. Everything like that has been given you in Christ Jesus already. You've got to receive it by revelation. This thing is difficult for people who are very carnally minded to understand because they don't understand. Like, I'm not richer. Like, how, how do you say, because I got born again, I should be excited, I should live in a certain certain bubble and joy and all of that. I mean, what are you saying? I, I'm not richer. I'm still the same height. I'm not finer. The pimples are still there. You know, guys are still not looking in my direction. What are you really saying? <laughs> You have Jesus now. Hallelujah. He that spread on his own son but delivered him up because of you. How shall he not with him also freely give you all things? Everything is already inside that same Jesus Christ. If you ever blame God for not giving you one thing that is not already found in Christ, it means you are not looking for it in Christ. You are looking for it with him outside of Christ, which is the reason why you have not found it yet. And if you never find it, you at least have Jesus Christ and that is all you really, really really need i should say you at most have jesus christ because god cannot improve he cannot improve on his benevolence towards you verse 33 verse 33 says who shall lay anything to the charge of god's elect it is god that justifies hallelujah has any of our parents ever been principals in any academic institution in secondary school before you know, there's a swag with which you walk. There's a way. There's a, there's just this swag. There's just this, you know, you are not trying to be proud, but your shoulder pad is just high. You don't know where it's coming from. It's just there. <laughs> because the highest governing authority in that school is your father. He's your mother. It's like, how on earth will anybody report you? Which liver will they have? <laughs> which liver? Praise the name of the Lord. Bible says, all right, who shall lay anything in the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifies. Glory to God. Can we get excited over that? No human, no demon has the final authority on your judgment. Glory to God. Nobody can determine your sanctions. Nobody. 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 No one can determine what happens to you. No one can determine how rich you will be. No one can determine how far you will go in life. No one can determine how many children you will have. No one can determine whether you'll be happily married or not. Not a single human being, no demon, no one can lay anything in the charge of God elect. Because the owner of that basket, where they will drop the charge, is the God that justifies you. Wow. No other human, no demon. That's the final authority on your judgment. Your judgment or your condemnation does not lie with any man. However highly placed they are, your judgment, your condemnation does not lie with any man. Governors may have the power of clemency to pardon criminals, but their power ends on this side of eternity. 
Their power does not transit to the other realm. Hallelujah. But glory to God, the powers of the world to come are with your father. The powers of the world to come. While, you know, the rich man was maltreating Lazarus and, you know, um, you know, refusing to give him stuff and refusing to be of good and help to him, he was living the life. But Lazarus' father was the owner of the afterlife. And it was this rich man that was begging. Of course, Lazarus is not a good template for believers. But that's just to tell you that even if you live the worst possible life on this earth, you still have something to glory about. Can you imagine that if you are still richer than the richest man on the face of the earth, even if you are the poorest man in, on this earth? That's the poor Lazarus. Because you will stay richer than you would ever, ever, ever think of being for all eternity. Hallelujah. You go to Abraham's bosom, he goes to another side, another compartment, because heaven has not been opened at the time. So he goes to another compartment in hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you're just cooling, enjoying yourself, sipping your, whether it's coffee or lemonade or chapman, whatever it is, and he's seeing you because, well, he had his time while he was on earth, and he didn't choose the greatest wealth in the world, the acceptance of the salvation message. He didn't choose the gospel. Praise the name of the Lord. So it doesn't matter how poor a man ever gets on this side He's still richer than the richest man that ever walked this earth who never had the chance to be Jesus. The Bible says, Who shall lay anything in the charge of God's elect? Your loving father is the father of spirits. Your loving father is the father of spirits. Can we? Okay, I think that has been um, sorted. All right, your loving father is the father of spirit. So no one can, so when people threaten you, you should smile. No one should ever be able to threaten you successfully without getting a, a scoff from you. If anybody ever threatens you, just laugh. No, no matter how highly placed you are. And I speak to you boldly by the, by, by the word of God tonight. I remember back on campus, there was a lady, you know, a lecturer was asking to sleep with her. And she was a member of our fellowship. And so she came to me and said, Pastor, there's this man who, of course, she's pretty, you know, smart girl, blah, blah, blah. And then the lecturer came asking her to sleep with him before he can, you know, pass her exams and stuff like that. <laughs> and I said, the next time he tries it, eh? no, 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 I didn't say that. I told, I told, I told her, I said, I, I scoffed, right? And I asked her, I said, does he want to die? And that was all I said. All right, I said, does he want to die? That was the last time he tried it. It was almost as though he heard it in the spirit because he never even brought it up again. It, it never even occurred to him. So that he never saw her before. Do you understand? And that's what happens because why would you threaten the daughter of Yahweh? Do you, do you know who you are talking to? Why would anybody threaten you? Why? What leader would they say they are? Praise God. Who shall lay anything in the child of God's elect? Your father is the father of spirits. He can kill his spirits. Hey, Jesus. God says, fear him that has both the power to kill a man on this side and then continue to kill his spirit in hell. Fear that God. The best any man on this side of the divide can do is to kill your mortal body. And all you, all they deserve to hear from you is a laugh, is a scoff. Because while they were burning the ancient Roman believers on the, on, you know, in, in all those, you know, theaters right those massive theaters they burn them on stakes just for the sporting of of the romans and the pagans and the heathen you know what the roman or you know what the, the, the believers were doing they were scoffing they were singing they were laughing their way to heaven and that singular act was getting more people saved <laughs> so imagine you know the emperor wanted to 
you know, uh, disincentivize people from getting to become believers. So he wanted to make public show, public shame, public mockery, and public example of the believers by burning them on stakes. And for each believer that got burnt on a stake, there were seven believers joined into the fold because they couldn't understand the joy, the, the liveliness. How could you be burning and you're sinking? How could you be burning and you're getting excited? How could you be burning and you're laughing? How? How could they be stoning you and you're saying, Father, forgive them? How? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But that just tells you that these guys are caught up with something. There's something they know. There's something they know. My father is the father of spirits. If anyone ever threatens you, the best you should give back is a scoff. The best you should give back is a laugh. All right, he that sits in the heaven shall laugh. Because that's how God reacts when somebody tries to threaten him. When the, when the, the kings of the earth imagine a vain thing and they, 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 you know, they, they gather to usurp God and is anointed and to, to, he, just, he just sits there and laughs. And that should be your reaction as well. Praise the name of the Lord. The only one who has the authority to judge you is... Okay, so sorry, verse 33. No other human being or demon has the final authority in your judgment. Your judgment or condemnation does not lie with any man, however highly placed they are. Praise the name of the Lord. Your loving father is the father of spirits. Hallelujah. Who was blessed by that? Verse 34. Hallelujah. So good. He says, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, he that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercessions for us. Very much in the same line with verse 33. All right. So the only one who has the authority to judge you, guess what he is? Is your lawyer and is your advocate. <laughs> the person they came to report you to is the one that will defend you. Glory to God. And he now happens to be the same judge again. So he's the lawyer and the judge. How could you how could you lose such a case? He is the lawyer, he's the judge. And you happen to be his client. And then an accuser of the brethren comes and begins to say, I condemn you, I judge you, I accuse you, you are guilty of this. And then he submits the charge in the law court. <laughs> and your lawyer shows up, he happens to be Jesus Christ. And then the judge shows up, he happens to be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is who you are, glory to God. So if you have ever been guilty of a wrongdoing, the highest authority of judgment is your legal representative. Appeal to him in repentance. Appeal to him in repentance. You owe no man apology. Appeal to God for what you defended. You see that Joseph did not, he didn't say, how can I do this great thing and sin against, you know, Potiphar or sin against Potiphar's wife. By extension, he could have sinned against them if he had obliged her. But you see, he said, how can I do this great thing and sin against God? God. And if he had sinned, it was that same God he owed that repentance. The way David put on sackcloth and he weeps before God and he asked for forgiveness and he just he just weeped he wept before God. Bible says in Psalms 1, he sang that powerful song, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me, restore to me the joy of salvation and renew the right spirit within me. Powerful. Because that is the person that you need to appeal to. The one you offended is one you should appeal to. Nobody can accuse you from the external. And it's better that you make peace with the son. All right? Bible says, let's be striking, all right? He said, kiss the son. <laughs> let's be angry, all right? So it's, it's important that you appeal to him, all right? So you, he's the first person you need to appeal to. You lied, you cheated, whatever. Yes, you have people you need to do some restitution with and all of that and reconcile with, but the first person you need to appeal to is God. And guess what? If after you've done your restitution and all that, you've, you've repented and somebody refuses to forgive you, 
you stand forgiven. Praise the name of the Lord. You stand for it doesn't matter what you did. And it's just it's just it's both a beautiful thing and for, for some people that are not aware of their sin towards God and what God forgave, it's also a sad thing for them. Like, how can somebody sin so much and then God just forgives them like that? The same way you just forgive you like that as well. If you are really conscious of how much you sinned and how much hell you deserved, you probably would understand why God would forgive somebody just like that. Because whatever measure or whatever metric you expect the person to go through before he is forgiven would have been the exact same thing you would have been subjected to as well. So aren't you glad that you're not subjected to the same measure? Or do you want God to be unjust? To have a different measure for you and a separate measure for another person because of the magnitude of their sin? And who even talks about magnitude when sin is concerned? God does not measure sin on a curve. He doesn't. So you need to understand that. The only person who is the authority to judge you is your lawyer and is your representative and is your advocate is the highest authority of judgment over your matter. So appeal to him. Appeal to him. Verse 35. Oh, we're getting to the juicy part. Verse 35, Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall peril, shall sword. So this verse and verse 39 happen to be my favorite in all of this entire, you know, string of verses. It's so powerful because God gave me a very powerful word. I posted it on my you know, my status yesterday, it just ranked so strong in my spirit. So if you look at all those factors there, if you notice, there are two the, two times the Bible talks about it, watch out. You know, the first time he said, who shall separate us, right? Uh, he said, who shall separate us from the love of God? The truth is this, yeah? That who there, the only person that forms that that is capable of assigning the who is the person is you yourself and i'll explain what i mean every factor you see in verse 35 are factors that you empower by reason of your lust and your desires i'll say that again every of the factors you see there are factors that you empower by reason of your lust and your desires so i saw something really interesting which is very useful for my teaching tonight on emanuela's status as we we're just about to start the teaching tonight. She said, the lack, she said, lack is not necessarily the absence of a thing. It is your heart's longing for it that makes it a lack. Do you understand? If I don't, if I don't want something, it is not a need. Now, I still don't have it. Whether I wanted it or I didn't want it, I still don't have it. But the moment I want it, then it becomes a need. So the point she's trying to make there is the fact that whatever need you have is a function of your desires, not a function of the presence or the absence of that thing. And I think that's a very apt way to just corroborate what I'm saying here. The fact that all the factors that the Bible begins to talk about in verse 35 are things that you are the one that assigned value to them. So for some of these matthias, they didn't assign value to life. They assigned value to matthiadom. So matthiadom was a blessing. Hey, did you get what I just said? So the value they attached to life was less than the value they attached to dying for Christ's sake. So whenever you beat Peter, he will go out rejoicing. But if you beat some of us, he will say, what do you mean? Do you know, you understand? You are fighting, you are, you are trying to, because you don't understand that. See, to partake of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ is one of the highest honors in the entire world. And so for Peter, you slap him, you beat him for the Lord's sake, you slap him on the right cheek, you turn the left, you know, you, you do all those things, and in his heart, he's, he's just enjoying it, he's loving it. I, I, I shared about, you know, Andromach some time ago, how that, you know, um, 
he was preaching the gospel and the person was preaching to spat in his face and he didn't miss a word he didn't even miss a word he just continued preaching as if nothing happened and that person was so mesmerized by what happened that he had to pay attention to and like why would i spit on you and you will not even react you'll never give me the privilege of acknowledgement you will not even be offended you'll never be you will be irritated by that and that's the strength of revelation that's the strength of revelation and so they place a lot more value on martyrdom and suffering for christ's sake much more than the life of comfort and convenience that whenever they did anything sacrificial for god or they had to subject themselves to rigor and to pain and some of these things not willingly of course but by virtue of the association with jesus christ and the persecution of the world against them what they received was comfort what they received from that same experience was comfort was glory was joy was excitement what do you receive when someone calls you a jesus boy do you get do you feel shamed do you feel <laughs> jesus shamed <laughs> if there's any word like that god forbid that those two things would coexist but that's something that some people will feel that way you know you know in the world where there's body shaming there is all kinds of shaming these these days and so someone can feel jesus shamed that ah, i can't be using jesus to shame me jesus and shame in the same in the same sentence and that's how depraved some of our ideologies about Christianity has, has degenerated to. Because we live in that era where martyrdom is not something we can even relate with. You understand? If, if somebody does not like you on social media, or somebody posts a comment that is not exciting for you, that's for you is martyrdom. <laughs> that's your own martyrdom. You feel like the world is coming, crashing on your head. That's your own martyrdom. If you say something about Jesus or something about the word of God and somebody comes in your comment section and says something nasty against you, you feel, mar- you feel martyred. <laughs> Can you ask a neighbor right there in the chat room that what is my child done to you? What's, what's your what's <laughs> one day I was I was I was mad emotionally. <laughs> Somebody so attacked me emotionally and the Holy Spirit told me to pray for the person. The Holy Spirit told me to, to pray for the person's husband, pray for the person's wife, and pray for the person's you know husband, and pray for the person's family, and pray for the person's you know, law, exam. After this person just finished me. That, that's at least that's some type of martyrdom. <laughs> you know the way Stephen said, "Forgive them for they know not what they." That's that is the spirit of the martyr. Anyone who dies is not the martyr. It's all who dies for Christ's sake. And to die for Christ's sake means you carry the posture of Christ even in death. That is, you say the things he said. You don't feel offended. You you still intercede. That is how to be a martyr. Ah, I hope we can handle the things I am saying this night. All right. But that, that's that's the spirit. That's the spirit. Praise the name of the Lord. So you alone, look at that. You alone can answer the question of what can separate you from the love of God. So in verse 35, you look at the things that can separate you. Look at the tribulation. Have you ever questioned the love of God for you because of something you are going through? That you felt was very unpalatable. And you began to, your relationship with God began to wane. Your love for God began to wane. You stopped preaching. You stopped loving god you stop praying you stop studying your bible you stop loving other people if you notice if you, the moment you stop loving god and you stop being fervent towards him you, you also stop being fervent towards people you stop serving people you stop loving people shall tribulation or distress is there a season you've been through you know something that happens to you that just made you feel like you know what i don't get this man is this what i signed up for in christianity yes this is what you signed up for the love you the love you claim to have for god will be tested it will be you've got to prepare for these things shall persecution people begin to come against you exactly because you love god that is if you did not love god that will not even be a situation it will even be a problem 
the only reason why this is a problem why people are coming against you people are attacking you is because you're a christian that's persecution shall famine shall inflation shall foreign exchange rates shall nakedness that's poverty you don't have enough money to to sort yourself out shall nakedness shame that's another thing have you been through i mean i remember like I, i've shared as well before how during my extra year god told me to stay in school and be going for every class every of the classes of that particular course that i didn't fail but had to do again and couldn't explain to everybody that i didn't fail it so i was going to experience the shame of the failure <laughs> without being one <laughs> oh dear lord and i'll come to class and people will be like damn it come and have your seat sir and it passed two course and it was a part three course it was, it was one of the most embarrassing seasons of my life see if if i was not shaped in that season that is if i survived that season nothing i shaved me again. i mean it was quite a shameful experience it was really shameful it was really shameful but god helped me god helped my heart and he, he actually made that season one of my most beautiful season ever my beautiful wife is one of the biggest all right um results of that season in my life i mean how can i thank god enough for that season so if i'm thanking god for my first year second year if a third year, by the time I get to my extra year, my volume will increase. Ah! <laughs> because of all the amazing things that came out of that extra year. Because if you put those things into his hands, he will, he will, he will, he will beautify your life. He will beautify your life. Never question God because of something you're going through. It's a very bad strategy. You, you, you tell him you're a babe. That's what you tell him. You tell him you're a babe. That's what you tell him. You tell him that. You don't you don't understand spiritual things. That's what you tell him. Any small thing you're already questioning God. Any small thing you're already saying, why would God do this? Right? God doesn't do anything. You live in a falling world. Things will test your resolve and your love for God. Stop stop blaming God as if God is some you know celestial butler that if he does not satisfy your needs, he is at fault. Come on. Come on. He is the anchor to rest on. He's not a theory to question. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Look at that. Shall nakedness, shall peril, shall sword, shall persecution, shall peril, shall nakedness, shall sword, shall distress. If you look at all these things, these are things that we can allow to affect our spirits. Excuse me. These are things we can allow to affect our spirits. And those we just told me said, if, let me be sure I, I am getting the quote right. If your spirit will not crumble from within, then nothing can crush it from without ah that blessed my heart so much that means if you ever get crushed it is crumbled and if you crumble it's because you assign so much weight and power to some external realities in your life and it was that assignment of so much weight to those things that give them power to crush your spirit so that crumbling talks about how that it was like an implosion much more than an explosion you imploded it was inside you that that thing disintegrated then what was now outside could then overpower you so if you faint in the day of adversity it was never really the adversity that was so strong because adversities come from without it is your own strength that was weak your spirit became weakened because you assigned so much value to those things that you didn't have to assign so much value to through those things the basis of questioning god and his faithfulness over your life hmm. So if your spirit will not crumble from within, then nothing can crush it from without. Your commitment to God's revelation, I'm sorry, your, your commitment to the revelation of God's love 
is what determines your experience of that same love. You've got to be committed to being revealed to the love of God. You've got to be committed to knowing the love of God revelationally. You've got to be committed to it. And you alone can answer the question of what is strong enough to make you question the love of God. Because that is why he's asking you that question. He says, shall tribulation, shall distress, what is your breaking point? What is, what is the threshold of your love for God? At what point will I touch something that you will start asking God questions like Job? At what point will I need to touch something and then you will curse God and die? At what point? What is that thing that I can touch? That thing that I can touch will make you question God. It is from that point that God will now begin to deal with you as far as your relationship with him is concerned. Look at that. Look at that. What shall separate us from God's love? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall perish, shall sword? Shall any of these things be strong enough to say to make you say no to God or to make you choose quote unquote life over death in Him? You alone can answer that question. And whatever value you have assigned, and you know that question is beyond just a question. Life will test that result. Life will test it. Will you travel to another country and then because you know, there's no church, like PowerPoint tribe, your, your relationship with God begins to wane. You stop praying, you stop studying God's word, because, well, um, you know, there's no atmospheric atmosphere and environment to aid your faith. Shall Japa separate you from the love of God? Praise the name. And it can be anything. It can be food. Can it separate you from the love of God? Shall a period, you know, Whatever it can be anything, whatever you have assigned so much weight on can be a reason why your love for God is separated. Verse 36, the Bible says that it is written for thy sake, we are killed all day long. We are counseling sheep on the slaughter. Now you may think that this is talking about Jesus right for our sake, but no, it's talking about us for Jesus' sake. Yeah, I, I know that Isaiah 53 talks about how that you know Jesus is accounted as a sheep, all right, for the slaughter, and like you know, a sheep he did not open his mouth as he was being led to the slaughter. That is for Jesus. This one is for is for is for us, because uh, David was the one that actually said this in Psalms for the four verse twenty two. All right, so he's saying that for God's sake we are killed all day long. Can you allow yourself to be killed all day long? In line with verse thirty five, can you allow yourself to be killed all day long for God's sake? We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So that means everything that Jesus has done for you, He also expects you to do it for Him. He wants you to also participate in His sufferings. <laughs> so that you can inherit his glory as well. Because only those that participate in his, in his sufferings will be called into glory. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with glory that shall be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. Oh, glory to Jesus forever. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy. He says, though our light affliction, but for a moment, he said, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Romans 8, 18, the first one. Yeah, things force clearly the second one. All right, and so it's important that you assign no more weight over anything above the weight you assign to God. If there is a weight that you have assigned to something above God, that thing will push up. Or sorry, that thing will push God. All right, it, it, it will it will exchange its weight. Do you understand? Because you have placed so much weight on that thing. So wherever God was, it would displace that weight. And then that thing will now be there, and then it now becomes the focus of God's attention. Then it begins to work in your heart to ensure that that thing ceases to be the center of your heart. And to the extent that you hold on to that thing, is to the extent that you can no longer work with God. So God has to be the center of your universe. It can't it can, it can be something else. 
David said, for God's sake, we are killed all day long. Can you also make that kind of a statement? And not be a liar. Look at that. Look at that. So the revelation of his love must be stronger than the reality of your pain. That's what he's saying. He says, for God's sake, we are killed all day long. Remember when David said, your loving kindness is better than life. He meant it. Because he said, for God's sake, he can be killed all day long and he's fine with it. Because he has chosen to put God's love as the paramount. He says, God's love is better than life. God's love is better than life. I believe it's three. God's love is better than David is willing to be killed for God's sake. But God will never let his only one see corruption. So if you think when you get killed for God's sake, you're the one making the sacrifice, you are wrong. But you have got to agree that indeed, if push comes to shove, I will make the sacrifice. But God will never make it possible for you to outdo him in sacrifice. So in the end, it's really not a sacrifice because you don't lose for sacrificing for God. But you've got to agree with him and with all. And this is why giving is still one of the most amazing ways of showing to God that you love him. God will ask you to give money. You would ask him. He would ask him. And it is the ones that he tells you by himself that they have the strongest instructions. Not the ones that your pastor tells you. Not the ones that we do when we raise money. No. The ones that out of the blues, you just give five million because it's in your account. And God told you to give it. Those are the ones that really test your love for God. When God will just tell you to do it because nobody can check your accountability because nobody asked you for it. And you didn't tell anybody you would give it. Only God told you and you, you obeyed. And nobody could ratify that you heard God or anything. That is, you didn't have to give it. And nobody nobody will know. Your spirituality quotient among the brethren will not diminish. But you give it nonetheless because you heard God. The way Abraham heard God and did not even ratify it with, with Sarah. And just went ahead to give his only begotten son. That level of ability to give up anything and everything. Those tests will come. Those tests will come. They will come. So it's not enough to just say, I love the Lord. Bible talks about those that they are, they are near with their lips, but their hearts are far away. You cannot afford to be that kind of a believer. Because on the last day, nobody will just scale and pass and say, eh, eh, let's just do based on vibes. God is not a Nigerian. God is not an airport official. No. No. He is not an airport official. He, you can't bribe him. You can't sort him out and say, no. No. He will say, I know, no. I know you not. I know Sabi. You work hazard of iniquity. You've got to be careful the kind of transactions you are making on this side of the divide. Praise the name of the Lord. So the revelation of love must be stronger than the reality of your pain. Alright? So even if you are willing to be killed for God's sake all day long, God will not let you be killed and stay dead. He will not let his only one see corruption. He will raise you from the dead. And a glorified body is far more and better than the body you had before you died. So what you will get, even after the sacrifice, will be far better than what you, you, you were holding on to <laughs> because you couldn't make the sacrifice. The same way Abraham became a lot bigger post-Genesis 22 than it was ever all right, accounted to have been between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. Look at So God wants to make you bigger, but the, the, there has to be a sacrifice in between. You can't just become bigger for uh, how now? <laughs> he may tell you to sacrifice a career for his sake. He may tell you to sacrifice some money for his sake. He may tell you to sacrifice something you love a lot for his sake. He will tell you to sacrifice something. Ah, oh, no, no. Call unto me those that have come to worship me and those that have come to make covenant with me by sacrifice. That is how God works. It is by sacrifice. Hallelujah. So if God is still, if you are still dealing with, uh, you know, pornography and all those things, get rid of them. Start talking about bigger sacrifices legitimate things that are really yours god will tell you to sacrifice them if if god is if the, your type of sacrifice is now to live a holy life that that's your sacrifice that lord oh yeah i'll stop i'll stop i'll stop watching i'll stop i'll stop i'll stop masturbating oh, i'll stop god will give you grace 
But when you grow up to a higher level of relationship with God, then the real sacrifices will begin. Because the sacrifices are legitimate desires that you can as well keep and it will not be seen. But they will try to sacrifice it. So that he can establish himself as the one living on the throne of your heart. The next verse, as we start to round off, the next verse, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Look at that. Through him that loved us. Only by revelation of God's love can we overpower the reality of the fallen world. We only conquer the world in love. It says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. In all the distress, the tribulation, the persecution, the peril, the nakedness, the sword, the everything in all these things. How do you tell somebody that is being fried into a so into suya on a stake in a colosseum in the Roman Empire that is more than a conqueror? How do you convince such a person? It's only by revelation. That is why I see nothing can improve on the revelation of the love of God in your heart. Nothing in the external can make you realize that God actually now loves you. Nothing. There's nothing God wants to give you now that some demon cannot give you. Quote and unquote. As far as it's something you can see. There's nothing. If it's an airline, the devils can give you an airline. If it is children, there's really nothing. That, I mean, demonic, demonically fabricated children. All right? God, there's nothing the devil wants to give you in terms of physical gifts. If there's nothing God wants to give you in terms of physical gifts that the devil can also replicate. So, you cannot hang your relationship with God on any of those things. Else, the devil will use it to turn your heart away from the Lord. The way he was trying to use those things to turn Jesus' heart away from the Lord. So, Jesus kept hanging, hanging on to revelation knowledge. Right? The, it is written. It is written. The devil wanted to use things to get him to denounce what has been written. The revelation. Don't let anything take revelation away from you. Don't let anything. Don't let anything. That work. Don't let it take revelation away from you. Your Bible story time never compromises. Don't compromise it for anything. Don't let it. Because revelation is the, is the grand pillar of your stability in Christ. It's revelation. It's not anything God wants to give you that will stabilize you in your Christian faith. Because that thing will deteriorate. That thing will stop being fancy. There will be a new one. If it's iPhone 14 Pro Max, there will be a new one. So God wants to be doing all those things every just to renew his relationship with you. Are you in subscription? No, no. Like... What really God has to literally be subscribing to your love every month, every month, every year, because you are based everything on things that He must do before you can agree that He loves you. Come on, don't do that. It is by revelation. Nothing can improve. See, that revelation is indestructible. You see why John could not be burnt. He could not be. He could not. He could not. There was nothing that could destroy John. Nothing could destroy him. It was he had so mingled with the love of God. Nothing on the external could destroy him. Nothing. Nothing. This guy was indestructible. Literally, talk about Superman, talk about Captain America. This guy could not be destroyed. He didn't have any kryptonite. He came inside cotton of oil. He came out screaming inside oil. Hot oil. <laughs> the Lord of God can insulate you against the worst vicissitudes of life. And even while you are going through the worst seasons, you are still more than a conqueror. Through him that loves you. It is still by revelation you receive this truth into your heart. By revelation. By revelation. So nothing external conquers the love of God. Nothing. All the laws of all the laws are threats of, of God's love. Now, have you ever felt beaten by a system, by a person, defeated by a situation? If you can love again, you are the conqueror. Look at that. While Stephen was interceding, he was the conqueror. 
He was born. See, anytime something happens to you and you react, you are not a conqueror. You are defeated already. It is it is defeated people that react. Those that are more than conquerors respond. They respond in love. If you can still love, you are more than a conqueror. This guy gives you. You prayed for him. You are the conqueror in that situation. Somebody did something that you cannot you cannot fathom. You are still more than a conqueror because you can love again. Higher. Love is what makes us into conquerors. Love is what makes us into warriors in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Bible says when you love your enemies, it's like you're pouring hot coals on their heads. You are pouring their hard heart of stone. You are pouring it and you are making it subject to the love of God. So that they would also receive the love of God into their hearts. Hallelujah. Not to ever make you pack your love with one side and say, forget love, I beg. Let me show you pepper. Nothing, 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 nothing. Praise the name of the Lord. If you can love again, you are the conqueror. Doesn't matter whether I failed you ten by a situation, by a boss that sacked you unjustly, somebody lied against you, somebody betrayed you, you can love again. As long as you can love again, you are on the conquering side. Hallelujah. And then verse 38, verse 38, verse 38. The Bible says, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is the present. Now look at all these things that the Bible now lists here in verse 38. The first time it talks about the things that you have control over. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, distress, all of that. Tribulation. By the time he's recounting these same things that could separate you, he's talking about external things that you don't have any power over. He's talking about death. He's talking about life. He's talking about angels. He's talking about principalities. He's talking about powers. He's talking about things present, things to come. You don't have power over all these things. No height, no depth, no any creature shall never be said. Look at that. He's saying there, and this is the revelation that Jesus gave to me as I was preparing for this teaching, that if your spirit does not crumble by the things that it was listed in verse 35, nothing in verse 38 to verse 39 can crush you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Neither death, nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present. Nothing, no height, no depth, no creature shall ever be able to separate you from the love jesus christ so nothing external conquers the love of god if nothing internal could if your inner man does not crumble then it cannot be crushed hallelujah all right verse 39 which is already i already quoted it from you know 38 and 39 this love is only experienced in christ jesus if you see what the bible says in verse 39 it says no height no depth no creature shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus so if you show your commitments to God with respect to the things that you will not let to, to separate your heart from his love. He also would ensure that nothing on the external can separate you from his love as well. Because he's the one that is in charge of those external things. Death, life, principalities, powers, angels, demons, all right, heights, depths. Do you see? Any creature. Those things are in God's care. And he will not let any of those things separate you from his love as well. He will if you would hold your side of the bargain. You will experience every ounce of love that is in Christ Jesus for you. See, when we choose to live our lives like this, then we begin to live the highest form of life that he has ordained for us. And it's a life of beauty, a life of glory, a life of honor, a life of grace. Hallelujah. So this love is only expressed in Christ Jesus. See why you need to invite others into this experience? Imagine somebody living all his life in this world, using words like, like I, you, um, I love you too, you know, he has a family, he has a dog, you know, he has relationships with his co-workers, he has friends, but he never knew the love of Jesus. Yet he used this love, this word love all his life, but he never met love himself. 
That's the reality of anyone who is not in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible says, this love is inside Christ Jesus. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. So anyone who is not in Christ Jesus has not met love. They think they know love from K-drama. They think they know love from Bollywood. They think they know love from Hollywood. They think they know love, but they don't. Because you don't find love in those places. They think they know love because something is doing in their heart, because they saw a fine girl. That's not love. Love is only found in Christ Jesus. He better come and start Christ Jesus. All right? And find love for your soul. And the last thing, all right, uh, that I want to drop with you, I can't go into the details tonight, and time is far gone. Beware, so you don't separate yourself and depart from the living God. So that you don't separate yourself from this love that is in Christ Jesus. Beware. And that one can be found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. I'll just read it out for you so that I'm not going to teach from it. I'll just read it out so that we end on that note. Because this love, you can depart from it. You can. Hebrews 3, from verse 12, Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So you can depart from the Lord, even after being with him before. He says, but exhort one another daily, which is why you must continue to come to church, because you don't exhort yourself. You exhort one another. You can't be exhorting one another if you're one person. Right? You come to church while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. So one of the ways the devil deceives people is by separating them from church, and it begins to harden their hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of, the, of Christ if we hold from the beginning, all right, of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, all right, did provoke, how did not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he given 40 years? Was, was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You will not experience all that God has in store for you in his love. If you become separated from his love through the hardness of your heart, and the beginning of the hardness of heart is the deceitfulness of sin. This is why you must rid yourself of any sin because it stops, it blocks your heart from receiving the love of God. God loves you, but you can't receive it because your heart has not opened to him. And your heart is not opening to him because your heart is hardened. Your heart is hardened because there's a deceitfulness of sin. You continue to sin and you love sin and you think sin is the life. You see why the love of God is that instrument that carves us into the image of Christ. It is how we can live without blame before him. It is only in love. So while you are not in love, you really cannot be sinless. While you are not in love, you really cannot love the Lord and live a holy life. Because everything in the law, which is still valid, which is still good, which is still holy, they are threads of God's love. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, Father, for tonight's teaching. We ask that we are established in this truth and in all righteousness in Jesus' name. For in Jesus' precious name of prayer. Thank you for having me. God bless your heart. I love you. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Parpoint Tribe.